Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Food Heals Podcast, episode 286. They read the final Jeopardy question. Uh, He tells the hospice nurse, you know, the answer. Comes back. He gets the answer right. Dies during the commercial break. No. Yeah. Mic drop. He mic dropped (laughs) Jeopardy. True story. Rosa Parks were his final words. My mom died in hospice, but she was drugged up. But my dad died with a cigar in his hand at a party at our house. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was still having a good time. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. I'm Allison Melody, and today's guest is a multifaceted entrepreneur who hosts the podcast, The Solopreneur Hour, where he helps people create businesses they can run and scale in their underwear which is so me because I love to record the podcast in my PJs. I mean, when there's no one in the studio here, of course, (laughs) when I'm alone and by myself. So yes, it's Michael O'Neill, who some of you may have heard his episode in the VIP club, where we talked about some fun business hacks and automations. He also has a YouTube channel, Wrench, R-E-N-N-C-H, where he gives out, you know, DIY tips, do it yourself for fixing and repairing and modifying Porsches. And he's a speaker and a business coach. You can find out how to work with him and listen to his show at solopreneurhour.com. And he coaches a lot of podcasters. So you're going to hear a little bit of him coaching me in the beginning of the show. Now, the old perfectionist in me would have cut this out, but I thought it would be fun to take you a little bit behind the scenes and hear (laughs) what it sounds like to be coached as a podcaster on your own show. But today's topic is really the aftermath of loss. So if you have lost someone you love and you are grieving, this episode is for you. I know the holidays can be tough when you are missing someone. And so today it's just a candid conversation about, you know, what loss can look like. It's not a how to grieve episode, nothing like that. It's just a show with two people talking about our losses, how they affected our lives and so many facets and and parts of our lives. And I just hope that it helps you feel like you're not alone in your loss, in your grief. Um, There are other people going through it. I'm here for you. So email me if you need support, info at foodhealsnation.com. And before we start, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who bought my brand new book, Food Heals So Far. You know, we launched on Thursday and the support has been absolutely incredible. In the first chapter, I tell my story of losing both my parents to cancer and how it completely uprooted and changed my life. 
And one of the things that I have learned is that by sharing our stories, it's very cathartic for us. It's very healing for us to share our stories. And very often sharing our stories can also be the key to unlocking someone else's prison. So if you have a story, share that story. Because even if you have done something, even if you are one step ahead of someone, there's someone who needs inspiration from you. They need education from you. They need to hear your story so that they can have their aha moment. And I've gotten so much feedback already. It's been less than a week now um, since the book came out. And already, you know, I'm getting the feedback that the stories in this Food Heals anthology have inspired you to take your health into your own hands, to help your loved ones get healthier, or has encouraged you to share your story so that you too can help others. So if you or a loved one has any sort of health problem from acne to cancer, depression to heart disease, just not feeling good, feeling stressed, there is hope. We can reverse this. A healing miracle is always possible. That's why I wrote the book. The stories in the book will help you, educate you, inspire you, empower you. So let's get it under the trees and into the hands of those who need it most this holiday season. Check it out at amazon.com. Food heals. All right, next up, my interview with Michael. The Solopreneur Hour podcast. Job security for the unemployable. Can we reference that we're drinking wine? Yeah, totally. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. He's the man behind the brand Solopreneur Hour, which is a podcast that to date has garnered over 10 million downloads. He's passionate about teaching you to podcast better. Oh, this doesn't work. This is about automations and shortcuts. <laughs> Just talk like you know me. How's that sound? It'll be, it'll be better. All right. He's the man behind the brand, the solopreneur hour, and he likes to abbreviate words. Please welcome my friend, Michael O'Neill. No, you get, you can do better than that. <laughs> tell a story about us. Come um, on. But, but tell a story about our, tell a personal story about me. I'm on the spot. I know, but you know me. Okay. I just watched a father do the speech at his, his girlfriend, at his daughter's wedding. Uh-huh. And he was like a goof, like a goofball, reading it off a piece of paper. I'm like, it's your daughter. <laughs> you know where she came from. This is so you mean. know you have stories. All right, so you've just brought me into a party. Mm-hmm. You don't have your script with you. <laughs> you want people to get to know me. How am I being coached on my own podcast right now? <laughs> because you're with someone who does this well. <laughs> Uh, you've, you're introducing me. There's a group of people right there. You, we have five people live in studio and you need to tell them a bit about me. Three, two, one, bang. All right. Today's guest is the man behind the brand Solopreneur Hour and his tagline is proudly unemployable, which I love because it's so relatable as a fellow unemployable person. Uh, we met because we speak at a lot of the same events and conferences, but we bonded because of our shared experiences of losing people we loved and dogs we love, frankly, but um, losing them way too early, which we're going to talk about today. And he's active in the podcast world, um, the marketing world, and the car world. He's currently doing a blasphemy build of a Porsche, which you can follow on YouTube. And yeah, he likes to abbreviate a lot of words. So please welcome my friend, Michael O'Neill. Hello. Hello. 
I was going to yell at you for saying Porsche. <laughs> oh, shit. Did I but, say that? But uh, you did. And I was like, where? Get burnt, get burnt, bat, burnt, bat. Uh, and you've corrected me before, but it's just not my world. So I'll have to remember Porsche. And I'm a fellow podcaster as well, in oh. addition to what you said in your intro. Are you a podcaster? I am. It's true. How long have you been podcasting? Six. It was six years in August. Yes. So I celebrated six years and 10 million downloads for yes. my show. Well, congratulations. So that was good. For one show or all five shows? For one show. That's that was the I don't know five. I just have the one. I've launched many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, I've launched four for myself uh-huh. and dozens for others. Okay, well, in the bio you just sent me, it said five, so. Right, so those were the ones I had like personal... Uh, you interactions helped. with so it was either it was like solopreneur hour and beginner audio file which are my two now mm-hmm. and then i helped launch i co-hosted the heinz ward show so i launched that one and i launched the kick-ass life with david wood and i launched mechanic to millionaire so those are all ones that i had like very personal one-on-one right but i've helped dozens of people also launch shows and that's been a i nerd out pretty hard as you know yes on podcasting on podcast hosting on sort of all the nuts and bolts of what makes it work. Mm-hmm. And I think the, um, the the same thing that is really exciting about podcasting, which is, is a super low barrier of entry. Like we could literally hit record on our iPhone or right. our Android and speak into it and then have a show live that night if we really wanted to. That low barrier of entry was super exciting, and it's also the reason why most podcasts are super terrible. Right. <laughs> so, so I what I my intention when I first started was let me do this show like it launched in 1985, mm-hmm. and this was like real professional broadcasting medium, and let me be the the pro, you know. And of course, since then the pros have come. Now we have the NPRs and the you know the big people have come but my goal has always been if I interview somebody on my show I want zero degradation from NPR or morning radio or Howard Stern or CNBC or whatever I want that experience for the guest who if you get an A-lister has been on all those shows Mm -hmm. I want them to feel like oh wow this person has chops yeah they've they've done some research and they understand that like oh I I'm I'm bringing it I you need to bring it with with my show you yeah. know what i mean so you're like the king of the indie podcasters making helping them be broadcast level broadcast worthy that's a pretty good way to put it i i found um there was a uh, uh maybe drunkenly but i really liked it better um there was a tagline that says it's my goal to make your first pa- your first podcast not sound like your first podcast mm, yeah that's a good one <laughs> right we all listen back to our old shows and we're like oh my god who would go, listen oh. to this how did i have followers or listeners right so i've gotten that a lot because i do so much podcast coaching mm-hmm. a lot of people going you know what would you have done differently and you know how did you how have you changed since you started your show i'm like i don't know go back and listen to episode 1 it sounds pretty good like it doesn't sound it sounds like I know what I'm doing right out of the gates. And that's, I think, just because years, it was years of really studying the, the, the backside of performance and speaking, yeah. you know? So it was, it was more about, uh, I can watch, and I still do, do this all the time, I, I'll watch a stand-up comedy special and I can be equally as uh, excited about it if it's technically well done mm-hmm. as I can if it's funny. Yeah. 
Like I really like watching the the, the energy go through and 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 how uh, that comic takes an audience on a journey mm-hmm. just as much as I like them setting up a punchline and having good timing and, yeah. and that kind of thing. It's just like me in filmmaking because it's like I respect high production value and if the story is shit but the production value and cinematography is amazing, I have so much respect for it right. even when the story sucks. Right, you're like, ah, the writing could have been better. Right. But man, was that beautifully shot. Exactly. They had a, they had a couple of really good people yes. editing and shooting this thing. They really understood yeah. the, the medium. And so. then I think it's such a travesty when you have like... An an incredible story especially with indie indie films sometimes the story is there and then everything else the production value is so poor you're just like you just created art and it is so beautiful but you made it so shittily that it, it right. it's so hard right. to watch can we say things like shittily on your show you can say shittily um it's approved i have shows that i i used to listen to before i became a podcaster mm-hmm. that are like you know like i'm a big pittsburgh steelers fan so i would go listen to steelers you know whatever it was what it, I forget what they call it now because I don't listen to it anymore. But but these are radio guys. Mm-hmm. These are guys that are generally on the radio. Their podcasts sound so bad. Mm-hmm. It is so impossible to listen to, partially because it it's like legitimately, you guys. This is what it this is what it sounds like when the guys are speaking. Like and they're yeah. so far away from the mic. You hear all the room. You hear it's and I. I keep going, is, is it your first day? Do you guys not know right. how this thing works? And part B is the guy is, it's as if he's never worked on his delivery. The linebackers, and I'm like, can you just pause and say the words? Mm-hmm. Take a breath. And And I'm not a huge advocate for editing out all the ums and ahs from a show. I just go, I'll just wing it. You know, you, you can fix that as a host. Mm-hmm. You can, if you um and ah a lot, put a sticky note on your monitor that says um while you're recording the show and you will absolutely um less than you would before. I, I said, can someone please stick a note on this guy's monitor because it's terrible. Point is, it's, it's very easy to get into this. It's not easy to, to have a, a great, show that people listen to and over and over and over. So congratulations that you have people that listen every week and are true super fans. And obviously you're doing something right. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, but it's not about me today. It's about you. So, you know, one thing that is very, I think unique and it's something that we share and every time I meet someone who's had this type of experience, I really feel like there's just a, an, a level of understanding that doesn't exist with other people who haven't been through it, is that we both lost our parents way too young, far too young, and both to you know chronic degenerative diseases where we had to see them suffer. And so I would love to talk about like your experience, what you went through, and then you know we were talking about this earlier, just like it's been years, but it doesn't go away. And how do you deal with that grief? I just celebrated the 12th year, mm-hmm. uh, September 15th, mm-hmm. 2007 is when my mom died. And then December 23rd, 2016 is mm-hmm. when my dad died. So it was it was little under nine months, mm-hmm. uh, eight months, eight yeah. and a half months between the two. And my dad was not a huge surprise. He had congestive heart failure. We had dealt with it for a few years. Mm-hmm. But it, it it didn't actually have to go. That, like, he didn't have to do what he did. What happened is he 
he fell and I can't remember the, the exact thing, but something hit his stomach and because he was that generation, he was the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. He was a little younger than that. Uh, didn't get it checked out, had right. stomach pain right. for weeks. Mm. And he finally went in. They said, you've been internally bleeding oh, for my God. weeks. And it caused, you know, whatever abscess in his, in his gut, and, which is the second brain, and his heart, which was already in bad shape, was way overpowered trying to deal with it. And there was a point, he ended up having to have a, a what is it, a colostomy bag? Mm-hmm. They cut like a piece of his, yeah. his intestines out. And I mean, you, you can't go worse than that. Right. It's, it's terrible. And I watched this guy that was smart and funny and powerful whittle away into a shell. And thankfully, because of our brain's built-in protective uh screen Mm -hmm. i actually have a very hard time visualizing him like that i see him as the vital powerful version that i lived with my whole life yeah and it was only i only saw him once in that state but i saw him for 35 years as a you know a big powerful guy and so that's mostly what i remember if i really try i can but i even then i have a hard time getting there and and seeing him in that state thank god that nobody took a picture Mm -hmm. you know you know what? Um, this reminds me. I don't know if you saw this, but it resonated with me so much in a, in a different way than it was intended. There's a Black Mirror episode where the mom gets the daughter um, implanted with something where she cannot see the bad. Have you mm-hmm, seen this? Mm-hmm. And I watched that and I thought exactly what you thought, that my mind automatically had to do that to protect myself because I also watched my father go from a strong, powerful man that I had so much love and respect for, literally whittle away in front of my eyes. And we took no pictures and I have very few memories of how he looked because I could not remember him that way because it was so fucking tragic. Yeah. I, I, I have a photo of my mom, the last time I saw my mom, and so my dad, my point at the beginning was my dad was not a huge surprise. He had a slow decline, went into hospice. Mm-hmm. I have the greatest hospice story about him okay. that I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. But then my mom, we really had a hard time, uh, especially because it was so close. One thing that people don't consider, this is something to really consider. And if you have a sick parent now, get this part handled and something that very few people talk about which is you've got this parent that's sick and you're dealing with that. It's very emotional. But when and if they pass away, there's a ton of shit to do. Right. Who's, who's going to get the grandfather clock? What do we do with the car? How do we deal with this uh, Persian rug that's been in the family for 35 years? Who gets that? And it's one of those things that if you're a, a you know a wealthier family with an estate, you'd have a probate lawyer, or you'd have somebody that would be handling that. Mm-hmm. For the rest of us, there's four bank accounts to close. There's shit you got to sell on Craigslist. There's like all kinds of stuff you have to do, and you still got to grieve your parents. Right. Yeah. So and it's overwhelming. It's totally overwhelming. In fact, I was going to. I, my cousin Molly, who was the rock mm-hmm. for our family. Mm-hmm. Through my dad, through my mom, then through her mom, it was a is a New York get shit done. She was the one that did all that, and I and a few years ago I told her I said Molly that is legitimately could be a career. 
You could go and just do that for families, be with them for a couple of weeks, Ugh. say, I'll handle all of this shit. You pay me five grand. I'm going to stay at the house. I'm going to deal with all of this stuff. I'll make breakfast. I'll get groceries. I'll deal with Craigslist and selling. I, would, I was like, that is a legit real career that you could do. I would do anything to have had that. Right. You could be the handler. Yeah. And just go and handle that stuff. And you walk in and say, I got it. Mm-hmm. You grieve. Yeah. You do. You go do what you have to do. Yeah. I'm going to deal with all this stuff. I'll ask you the important questions, but you go do yeah. you and I've got this. Yeah. And there might be power of attorney so you can close bank accounts and do things mm-hmm. like that. Insurance and things yeah. like that. But, but I, t- to this, to this day, I still say, you could still do that. That could be a thing you do that could be a real, legit, you'd probably make 20 grand a month no, doing it's, that. it's so And needed. provide one of the best services you can mm-hmm. for a family. And so, anyway, that is something to think about. If you have a sick parent or somebody in hospice, think about what what you're going to do after. Because we only think about the death part. We don't think right. about the living part and what we do when we're living. No, I mean, you couldn't be more right. Like when when it happened to me, I had no other family. I was an only child. My parents don't have any brothers, sisters. They were only children. So we have this very small family. And so I'm dealing with all this estate stuff. I don't know anything about estate law. I don't understand anything about lawyers. The banks are calling me. Like I'm just like, I don't know what any of this means. I was completely clueless. And to this day, there are things I didn't know. I just found out a year ago that I have mineral interests in Texas. Huh. Didn't wow. know about for it. You. They tracked me down. I know. I'm like, wow. But and then my mom had this um, account, like a retirement account that never was accounted for in the state. All of these things that we had no idea existed. And I'm still figuring it out and it's been since 2007 that my dad died so it's been 12 years and my mom was like you know 14 so all of the things like get help get anyone you can um I couldn't afford a lawyer because all the money was tied up in the estate yeah I didn't have a job I was his caretaker right (laughs) right that's so part of my story is how I went from you know I had this I was a, a pretty successful freelance web guy at the time, but I was doing, I was doing pretty well. And if you guys know anything about being a freelance person and, and, and solo, it's this, uh, tightrope between bringing in new business. So you're going to networking events, you're talking to clients, Mm -hmm. you're emailing, you're doing prospecting work and then getting the work done and then following up with past clients and people that you do kind of regular updates with. Right. You got those three facets. If something interrupts that process, especially the new prospecting part, you ain't got business. Mm -hmm. And so for four years, I went back and forth from uh, Colorado to Florida. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, it's like they didn't really have internet. There was no, like, it really shut my world down. Well, fast forward a little bit, lost my house, Mm -hmm. lost two cars because I was trying to keep the house. I was selling the cars. Mm-hmm. 401k got emptied. Mm-hmm. Like it all went because a lot of my life was mom falls and breaks her hip, needs right. 24 days of rehab. Right. Insurance pays for 10. Right. It's $2,000 a day. Oh my God. And you go, and this is Florida. So they fuck you so hard. Mm-hmm. If you, I'll tell you right now, if you have a parent in Florida, get them out. This happened to my best friend, Rebecca too. Get them out. Yeah. It is the worst state to have a sick person because guess what? All they have is old sick people there. It's all about the money that they can make. Money. Oh yeah. They print money. And when I tell you that we had a a rehab home for my mom, 
and that when she, we were going to move her to Toledo, Ohio. It's a super long story. But when she left, within an hour, her bed was filled. There was an 80 person. Because it's a business. And and 80 person waiting list. And if for some reason she had to change her mind, the door shut. You can't go back. Like there's nowhere to go mm. with this sick lady it's yeah. really crazy let me tell you this quick story that's fairly amusing my dad my whole life was a huge jeopardy fan mm-hmm. and he'd have his big leather chair that he would sit in every day uh-huh. and 7 30 jeopardy would come on and very very smart guy uh, uh, but there was never an occasion that he got an answer right <laughs> that we weren't informed you hear that sue it's <laughs> it a lot of that it was like our friend JLD. You make, everything he does, he makes sure you know he did that. <laughs> and we, he was, it was funny. It was hilarious. So he's in hospice and he has a hospice nurse. And um, Jeopardy. So if you remember Jeopardy, uh, there's single Jeopardy, right? That's worth 100 bucks, 50 mm-hmm. bucks, 75, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And then they do a commercial break and then you do double Jeopardy. So here's how the show goes. It goes single Jeopardy. My dad like sweeps, you know, whatever. Single Jeopardy. She got this. Double Jeopardy happens, mm-hmm. right? So he's got double Jeopardy, crushes it. And then what they do is they read the final Jeopardy question and then they do a commercial break and then they come back for the answer and then that's the end of the show, mm-hmm. right? So they read the final question. Uh, he tells the hospice nurse, you know, the answer, uh, comes back, he gets the answer right, dies during the commercial break. No. Yeah. Mic drop. He mic dropped (laughs) Jeopardy. True story. And I go, what the hell? And he, she said, you have no idea how much power you have in what was his situation. When you hear people that have like a will to live and they like there's at some point there's a decision. Yeah. If you want, it's almost like when you remember like you've been, you can throw up or you don't, you decide if you're going to like, you know, it's going to make me feel better if I actually just throw up and you kind of, yeah, yeah. you kind of, you feel crappy anyway and you're a little nauseous and mm-hmm. you're like, all right, you can kind of will it or you can will it the other way and not, you know, unless you're really sick and your body just says we're throwing up, yeah. but you can kind of be in that. So apparently when you're literally on death's door oh my and it kind of says, what do you think? Uh, other than something obviously, you know, acute or tragic or, you know, you're in an accident or whatever. You just, you know, you hear all the stories all the time where grandma stayed alive while the kids flew in and they were able to say goodbye. Yes, and then yes. Five minutes later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what happened. Wow. He did one more round of Jeopardy. Oh my and then God. nailed it and, and clocked out. Isn't that funny? I mean, I, I kind of love that story. And is that like a memory that uh, of him playing Jeopardy? Is that like something that was meaningful for you? Oh, for sure. And that story is a, a hilarious version of who he was. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure... It's perfect. I'm, I am confident that if the hospice nurse happened to step out of the room mm-hmm. when the final Jeopardy question was answered that he made sure that she knew. She that he, knew. Oh yeah. Yeah. That he, <laughs> That's so amazing. I know it's like my mom died in hospice, but she was drugged up, but my dad died with a cigar in his hand at a party at our house. Yeah. <laughs> like He was still having a good time. Like we had a, we, we literally were having a cookout and our friends were over and, 
it happened. So how funny is that? By the way, the uh, the question, the the proper answer was Rosa Parks. That was the it was the who who was the woman that, that was, was his yeah. final. So those yeah. were his Rosa final Parks. words. Rosa Parks were his final words. <laughs> so do you play Jeopardy or watch Jeopardy now? No, but when I when I see it, I you know yeah, it's, it's like it's, so it's, special. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. But yeah, I thought that was really great. You know, that's really interesting because you are also uh, may I reflect back to you as a friend that you are a person that likes to understand and know everything. Yeah. So you are a researcher, you are a striver and you are like, oh, no, let me tell you because I've done the research and I know the answer to this. Right. So you should that- see my YouTube playlist. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned how to do things. I'm very confident I will never do. Yeah. It's like I've watched people build log cabins going, oh, that's how you notch a log, you know? Yeah. Like, oh. That's the thing. Just in case I end up on the homestead and I have to make a log cabin, I feel confident that with a chainsaw, I can yeah. make the proper octagonal notch to, you know. That's like your version of Jeopardy. So you clearly got this from your dad, right? Was he like this growing up? Super resourceful, could fix everything. Yeah. That is what I got. And also uh, fairly fearless about uh, uh, amazing sales guy, mm-hmm. amazing sales guy, could, could sell ice to an Eskimo kind of guy. <laughs> And very funny and witty, had a great voice, played a great saxophone. So very kind of renaissance in that way. Mm-hmm. I, d- I did see him once, and I, I know we'll, we'll sort of move on to the actual meat of this, but another funny story about him is we, we had moved down to Florida, and you know my dad had a bit of a temper because he was from the South, and they were, he was Freeport, Louisiana, and that's how you communicated when mm-hmm. you were angry. You yelled it and hit things. But I remember walking into the house one day. My dad at this point had... Just to, he had retired, but because he's my dad, he bought a uh, crab fishing boat, and then hired a couple of guys, and they were they would fish for stone crabs. Mm-hmm. He made all of these stone crab traps, which look like um, it's like a wooden crate, kind of like you have on your table here. And they would you'd have a piece of uh, PVC pipe that was about this long and about four inches wide, and the crate would be a full cube. And you'd cut a hole and put the PVC pipe up top and then put the bait inside it. And the crab would go into the pipe and then they couldn't get back out. Mm-hmm. And so they're these stone crabs, which if you've ever had them, you know, they're 35, 40 bucks for two mm. claws. They're very expensive. And how they would uh, deploy them is you'd have, you know, 100 or 200 traps. They'd all be connected together and they'd have concrete on the bottom of the cubes, right? So there'd be a wooden crate with concrete on the bottom, a PVC pipe on top. And they'd all be connected with that that vinyl rope that they use for boats. And so they had buoys that they would have to lay all the crab traps. And then, you know, the, the different crab fishermen would throw their traps over the edge in, in line. So you'd have these hundred traps that are out and then you'd fish for it. Sometimes people would poach them they'd pull them up and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, apparently my dad's trapped traps had been, uh, the current, had taken them outside the zone of where you were allowed to have traps. I guess there had just been a storm uh-huh. and it, you know, so we're in the Gulf of Mexico and the government, the, the county confiscated the traps, which is like no bueno. Mm-hmm. And it was clearly the current. It was the, I mean, right. there was a ton of like, what my dad knew is that a bunch of his crab fishing buddies, all of their traps, you know, blew a half a mile out mm-hmm. because the, the current just took them all. And apparently they, they confiscated him. This guy was in charge of it. Well, I walked in on my dad. I was, you know, just having a regular day. I walked in. My dad had paperwork and maps all spread out on the kitchen <laughs> counter. 
Like he had this whole thing set up and he was honestly in years was as pissed as I've ever heard him. He was screaming at this guy. You better get my goddamn traps back in three, you know, in 30 minutes or like it was like, or hell will rain upon it was that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> oh he was just going and I, and I walked in eyes wide, shocked, standing there going, holy shit. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching him like red faced, you know, yelling at this guy and you got 30 minutes, you know, and slams the phone down. And then and this is what was so great about him. Slams the phone down and looks at me and everything softens. And he gets this big smile. He goes, he'll call back. <laughs> you know, he was totally just putting it on. Like yeah, he yeah, totally yeah, yeah. was putting it on. And he just sat there, phone rang five minutes later. We'll have the traps back to you. And I mean, it, it was so great Aww. to watch this thing that he had just, he just put on this costume of, of raging anger. Right. And then just looked at me and was like, he'll call back. And I was like, no, that was awesome. That was a cool move. That was, I love my dad. That was cool. Aww, so that, that was a cool, cool. moment. Yeah. One thing though, I and I think if we talk about long-term loss and why why it's I mean, you'll get over it. You won't cry forever. You know, but one thing that still shakes me is there's you can't make the phone call. Oh my god, these are my nightmares. I'm always trying to call and I can't call and I don't know why. Right. I'm like, what's the number? What's right. the number? And I'm trying to call. Oh, your actual dreaming nightmares. Yes, this is literally this yeah. is what I dream about and it's so fucking sad. But it's like it's you know when people have recurring things, it's always that I can't call them. It's interesting it's, that you say that. When it's like when something great happens like Yeah. I, uh, a couple years ago, I met a guy named Cal Fussman, who was a writer at large for Esquire. He's interviewed everybody in the world, Muhammad Ali, all the world leaders, all the big actors. Um, and we became, I heard him on the Tim Ferriss show. Mm -hmm. It was one of those really random life things. I was, I was captivated by a story he was telling as he was the last person to ever interview Muhammad Ali. Wow. And Muhammad Ali took him to the, his shed out back where he's he got a boxing ring and he's got all of his all of his accolades and things like that. And he was walking and he, Mamali hadn't stepped in that room for months and he was walking around and you know, he, he, at this point he'd been really compromised by Parkinson's. He's mm -hmm. shaking and weak and very close to the end of his life at this point. So Cal is there and he's looking around. He's a very curious guy and he's asking all these great questions and, and you know, there's a big heavy bag there and Cal Cup throws a couple of swings at the heavy bag and Muhammad Ali says, Oh, you got a nice, you got a nice stroke or whatever you say to a, a boxer. And he says, yeah, you know, I was researching a book and I ended up training with this guy and I, I have quite a bit of training. So he says, so Muhammad Ali holds the heavy bag for him and Cal puts some gloves on. He, he's hitting. So Muhammad Ali is holding the heavy bag for Cal and he's hitting this thing. And it's like, what world are we in that this guy's doing this? Right. So then Muhammad Ali says, let me, let me give it a shot, you know? So he goes and they get the gloves on him and he's, he's again, this frail guy. And Cal's holding the bag and Muhammad Ali gives it a couple of taps, a couple of taps, then absolutely almost blows Cal off his feet. One swing, whack, <laughs> another one, whack, 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 ba, ba, ba. And for, he said, for a minute, mm -hmm. He was back. Wow. He was back 
Parkinson's was gone. Gone. Yeah. He's snapping these punches. Whap, 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 whap. And Cal's like, all right, come on, champ. Right, right, left, left. You know, he's, he's, and he's bop, 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 bop. And then he gets one more big shot and then just collapses. He's oh on the ground. God. And those are the last punches he ever wow. threw. And I'm sitting on my bed in my room yeah. and I am captivated by this story. I said, holy, I think, un- what a- unbelievable story. This is the universe. An hour later, buddy of mine texts me and says, hey, I've got a friend who uh, wants to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. I told him you're the guy. Yeah. So can I connect you guys? Yeah, no problem. So he, he, he goes, his name is Cal Fussman. And I said, you have got to be shitting me. I just heard him tell this story wow. on Tim Ferriss an hour ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I text the guy. We end up on the phone. We talk for two and a half hours. He's the delightful guy. Uh-huh. So... He goes, well, why don't you come to Beverly Hills and, and have breakfast with me? I said, done. I drive up, have an, I get an Airbnb. That's another whole story. Mm-hmm. And we, I walk in and Cal says, yeah, come on in. And I, and I look over and it's Larry King sitting in the corner booth. And it's me and Cal Fussman and Larry King having breakfast together. And with arguably two of the five top interviewers from this last century wow. at breakfast. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, if my mom knew this, yeah. she would, yeah. th- it would be all she would talk about. My son just had breakfast with Larry King. <laughs> yeah. I've, I love Cal's, right? Like she would have known him. Yeah. She would have known his work. And that to me was one of the last memories. I thought, man, that, that was something. You know, that was really, yeah. that was a special moment. And th- I've gotten to do that a couple times now. And I've had another couple of, you know, I wish mom were here kind of moments. And sometimes it happens when you feel bad. You know, I was sick last week. Right, I'm like, right. oh, I wish I could tell my mom. You know, it'd be mm-hmm. nice. But it usually happens when something amazing happens. And you go, mom, guess what? Well, it's you like, know? do you think that, I, I feel this way for myself. I wonder if you feel this way. I am constantly seeking that approval from people that I see who are older or more established than me um, because I can't get that from mom and dad anymore. Yeah. And there's a, I I definitely have a bit of that. Although I have to say that I was never, I very rarely seeked my parents' approval. Mm -hmm. One thing that did happen though, that was unique and I've, I've, I recognized it maybe two years ago, but it's only been in the last six to eight months that I've actively addressed it, mm-hmm. which is one of the, the I suppose, I don't know if it's an innate gift or if it was a learned gift, but since I was very young, the I, earliest I can remember was like seventh grade when someone came to me asking for some advice. They said they're having some you know, obviously major issue with a boy because that's what you have in seventh grade. Absolutely. (laughs) Linda Costco, wherever you are, Linda. And I didn't know the guy. I knew her a little bit, but I said, well, here's the situation and here's how it's going to go. A month later, a month passes and she comes to me and she says, you know, we had that talk about, I don't know, Tommy, whatever his name was. And she said, it happened, it the result was exactly what you said. Mm. I didn't listen to you. I listened to my best friend because she told me to do this. But what you said is exactly how and I wish I would have listened to you. And I thought that's really interesting because I don't really know them very well. 
but this is kind of a fun thing. One thing that is advantageous for me as an interviewer, I don't, a lot of times I don't know the people I'm interviewing very well, but I have a, a, a gift and I, again, I don't know if it's innate or it was developed or whatever that you can hand me a few very disparate dots and I can fill in the whole story. And because of that, because like a, a single mom with two kids and a, an insurance company job could come to me and I, I, can, I can accurately portray how she's thinking and what will happen if she makes a certain decision. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have no... I'm not a single mom with two kids working in an insurance company, but and you're somehow, not a psychic? somehow it, it's very accurate. And I think it's because of a, a broad worldview and because I, and maybe like you said earlier, I do, I'm very curious about mm-hmm. different aspects of different things. Even if I, I'll never, I'll probably never work in an insurance company, you know? Yeah. But it allows me to ask very poignant questions to a, a, a guest of mine and and often you get that really great response which is like wow I've, I've, I've never been asked that and how could you have known that mm. those kinds of things yeah. which are really music to my interviewers ears you know so the the, the the dirty underbelly of this is because I'm a Scorpio I can really identify people's like soft, weak underbelly. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if they're mean to me, I, I, I'm very capable of a nuclear, <laughs> un, untenable, unredeemable, irredeemable comment that will nuke, like absolutely nuke a friendship. And okay. I've done it. I'm going to stay on your good side. Note <laughs> to self. I've, and I've done it. <laughs> things that will like will stick with people for years kind of things. And, and that's not a great, it's, you don't want to have your finger on the red button. But when I also come from Philly, so I have a little bit of a like, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and a, a sometimes very limited patience for stupidity and that kind of thing. What, what happens is if I have a friend or even a, 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 an acquaintance or someone who's becoming a friend, but I even sense a pullback mm-hmm. from them, where they either say something or maybe they don't include me in a thing. It is so easy for me or has been traditionally so easy for me to flip the go fuck yourself and I'm out. Yeah. And that is a 100% fear of abandonment taking place right Mm -hmm. there. The, The second I think somebody that I care for is pulling away from you, I'm like, fine, pull away from me. Then I'm out. Yeah. And I just delete. And it's only recently that I've realized that I've done that with mm-hmm. friends, with relationships, with things like that over the last few years, 100% because both my parents died. Yeah. Then my, one of my best friends committed suicide. Then the next year, my best friend died of a lung aneurysm, which was last year. Yeah. Uh, my dog, and you're holding your dog right now, died of lymphoma. Like I had this packed uh, period of very dense loss. Yeah. So reeling from that is this sense of abandonment. Yeah. And so now that I've become sort of public about that, I've reached out to friends and said, Hey, I want you to know that this is a thing for me. 
So when you yeah. when you write these texts or I see you you've posted this and you didn't invite me, this is how I'm this is what my natural reaction is to that. Yeah. And I want you to know that because if your friend broke their leg and you were helping them or bring them into your car, you would accommodate this broken leg. You wouldn't be like, hey, let's go on a hike. You'd go, oh, my friend's got a broken leg, so I'm going to make sure that, you know, maybe I helped him out a little more. This is my version of a broken leg Uh that I want my friends to know that it exists. I'm working on it. I'm conscious of it. It's probably going to be a while before Mm -hmm. I feel like a a friendship has developed enough that it feels so rock solid that when I get these kinds of things, I don't just naturally react this way. Mm -hmm. But I want you to know that this is a thing for me. And just acknowledging and being conscious of that has been huge for me in 2019. I mean, I think acknowledging it is step one and I think it's a form of protection and I do the same thing. Not, uh, not that I, I don't go nuts on people at all, but I, you know, I'm very like trying to keep the peace, but I will reject you before you reject me because I am a fear. I have fear of abandonment and being alone. So I will stick with the people who I know I can trust. So it's hard to even trust new people. Right. Um, But let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk more about this topic. Love it. All right. We'll be right back with Michael. But first, Food Heals Nation trivia question for you. What is a four billion year old single cell organism that has 40 vitamins and minerals, the highest concentration of protein, one calorie and just one ingredient that will keep you healthy AF this holiday season. It's algae, nature's true number one superfood. It's one ingredient, zero sugar, completely vegan, paleo friendly, fasting friendly, and it's the purest source of spirulina and chlorella that exists today. It's a great plant-based workout fuel. It's great for curing hangovers. It's great for keeping you healthy when you're not feeling well or preventing you from getting sick if you're in a cold climate or if you're splurging at too many holiday parties. I feel you. Don't worry. Give your body the protein and micronutrients it needs to perform without sugar, without artificial sweeteners. It's great for travel if you're traveling on planes, trains, and automobiles. I take them everywhere. They're in my car. They're in my purse. They're in my kitchen. They're on my countertops. (laughs) They are great when I'm intermittent fasting because they give me the nutrition I need to sustain my fast and so I can fast longer and so I'm not mindlessly snacking or having sugar or salt cravings. Um, and bits just help you stay fuller longer and help you conquer the day. Um, you can get 20% off using the coupon code foodheals at energybits.com. If you didn't hear our interview with Catherine, the founder, Catherine Arnston, go back and check out that episode because you can hear how she actually used energy bits as a tool in her healing toolbox to help her sister overcome cancer. So it's an amazing tool to add to your healing toolbox, whatever health problem you are trying to overcome, add this to your regular regimen. It's going to make you feel amazing. They've also got the beauty bits, so it's going to make you look amazing too. So you can't go wrong. Energy Vits.com. It's going to help you get through the holiday slump, the holiday hump, <laughs> whatever you might call it. Help you get through those holiday parties and feel amazing. 20% off using the coupon code foodhealsenergybits.com. All right, now back to my interview with Michael. Who else wants a free, fresh bottle of olive oil shipped straight to their door? Let me back up. The first time I went to Italy, I finally tasted real olive oil for the first time. It's not that I had never had olive oil before, of course, in the States, but the difference was I was having olive oil made fresh from olives that were growing on the property in Rivello off the Amalfi Coast. 
it was an experience I will never forget. And I ended up shipping like six bottles of it home because I couldn't bear to go back to store-bought processed olive oil. Well, the same thing happened to TJ Robinson. He's also known as the olive oil hunter. He learned that olive oil packs the most flavor and the healthiest nutrients when it's fresh from the farm. And that's the problem with your typical like supermarket olive oil. The olive oil is not fresh. They can sit on the shelf for months, years, growing stale. And that's why I'm so excited that I now get my olive oil direct from small award-winning farms. Thanks to TJ, who I just did an olive oil tasting with, which was so fun. I absolutely fell in love with their vibrant, fresh, grassy flavors. They're totally delicious. They're great on veggies, pasta, salad, you name it. And TJ has his fresh-pressed olive oil club and food heals nation he will send you a full-size bottle worth 39 dollars of one of the world's finest most artisanal olive oils fresh from the latest harvest but he's only going to charge you one dollar to help cover shipping there's no commitment to buy anything now or ever it's his gift to food heals nation so you can get your free 39 dollar bottle for just one dollar shipping taste the difference taste the freshness you can go to get fresh 323.com. That's getfresh323.com. You'll get your free bottle and you'll pay $1 for shipping. Getfresh323.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So talk to me about like the aftermath of loss, because as we, you know, we talk about this offline, but it's like the whole thing that time heals all wounds to me is bullshit because I am you know, as much as work as I've done with on myself, I'm still triggered when someone's talking to their mom on their phone or it's a holiday. And essentially you become orphaned at an early age and all of a sudden everyone's going home for the holidays and you're like, I got nowhere to go. And of course, all your friends embrace you and they're like, come over. But you're like, it's not the same. So talk to me about like, what does the aftermath of grief like look like for you? One thing that this reminds me of is actually one of my biggest pet peeves as a human and also one of the most selfish sentences that I think can be uttered in the English language. You see it a lot on Facebook. Somebody posts that their mom died or their girlfriend is sick or something. What do most people write under that post? So sorry for your loss. Let me know if there's anything you can do. That's right. So good my headphones fell off. Those words, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, to me are arguably the most selfish words in the English language. Here's why. Okay. This is very polarizing because I feel like most people would say, well, I'm just trying to do my best, so tell us why. No, you're not. You're not trying to do your best. Doing your best is showing up at their house with groceries. Yes. And or or babysitting 
No, most people don't. Okay. Most people Not say on Facebook. You're right. Most You're people right. say, "Let me know if there's anything I can do." To which you, to which I respond, "Really? This person is is hurt. They're as vulnerable as it gets. The last thing they're gonna do is pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Here's would you what mind?" I need. Would you mind mowing my lawn? Would you mind bringing me groceries? Would you mind taking my kid for a couple of hours because I have to go deal with the aftermath of this? The, the, The true friends when my mom died showed up. Yeah, they came over. They show up. You show up and you say, here's groceries for the week. You show up and you say, we're going to lunch. We're going out. They make a lot of food for you. You've been in the house for five days. We're going to, we're going out to lunch. We're, I'm picking you up in an hour. Be ready. That's what the real friend does. The real friend understands that the last thing you're going to do is reach out because you're already vulnerable. That requires another whole set of yeah. emotions and stability and and um, confidence to be able to reach out because you just you feel so miserable. When you're in that position. So if you're my friend and you're hearing this, if you hear that I have a cold or you hear that I'm going through some crap, just show up at my house. Mm -hmm. Just you have permission now to show up at my house because that to me is what a real friend does. Mm -hmm. They show up with, if you're sick, they show up with a a care package with your sick meds and, you know, your soup and all that stuff. That's what a real friend does. It's not let me know what I can do. So that being said, as we mentioned before, the aftermath is is messy, especially when it comes to the actual, you know, getting stuff done around the house and that kind of thing. But the long term, which is, yeah, I to me, really, and I know you have this as well. My my year is gets start getting start getting shitty around in July, mm-hmm. so it's. Dad's birthday is July 24th. Parents' anniversary is August 6th. Mom's birthday is August 12th. Mom died August, uh, or mom died September 15th. My birthday is October 26th. Then we have uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Christmas. Well, then my dad died and then Christmas. So that's like my last, Mm -hmm. you know, July to December kind of sucks every month. There's something every month. There's a month to not be, there's a day to not be celebrated. That's just yeah. a memory. It's shitty. There's yeah, and and the every one of those occasions comes with a, a bit of sorrow, you know. Especially again, let's say that you know you, you meet somebody and you fall madly in love, and this, this is the person you're going to be with forever. That's the thing you want to tell your parents about. That's the thing you want to introduce them to. It's the thing. All of those events that have to do with this kind of long form uh, life really they, the, the tone changes. Mm-hmm. So much like the, let me know if there's something I can do instead of just saying, Hey, uh, you know, we're doing a thing for Thanksgiving. It's like, Hey, come over for Thanksgiving. We're going to, we'd love to have you at the house. Mm-hmm. I want to hear, I want to hear that, you know, we're going to Minnesota we have a great family Christmas. We all get a cabin. Would love to have you come with. That feels different than, hey, if you don't have anywhere to go, you know, let me know. Well, let me ask you this. Have you experienced this? Where, and people have the best of intentions, and I'm not knocking anyone. However, 
do you feel that people are uncomfortable even talking about your loss so they won't bring it up because they don't feel comfortable talking about it? And you're like, no, I want you to bring it up so I can talk about it because it makes me feel good. You know, it's a weird secret club mm-hmm. that you get in. Yeah. And that you're, you only realize it after the fact that there's some things that are unfathomable. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in San Diego that <clears throat> they they had like if there was ever a hashtag relationship goals, yeah. it's this couple. Mm-hmm. They were seven years. They traveled all over the world together. They built businesses together. Gorgeous humans, like physically beautiful, like the world can't wait to see them have kids. She could be a supermodel if she wanted to. So they're like Instagram worthy. All of the things. <laughs> they were very successful in their 20s. He's running this amazing business, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, he dies in a helicopter accident oh my while God. he's volunteering in Africa. Oh, my like, God. As you know, and they're not they were engaged. They weren't what? married yet. Obviously, she is as destroyed as you get because she really did find that one in a million, 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 million. It was it was that. And everybody that knew them said, man, if I could have a relationship like that, that is the best version of relationship. Well, there's no conversation you have with that person. There's no way you can just go. Let me know if there's anything I can do, which I saw literally probably 300 of when it was announced. Let me know if I can do anything. I'm like, I, I looked at that thing and said, that person can't move. Not the only couch. is she speak. not going to yeah. reach out to you to come and help her, but we ain't going to see her for a few months. She is going to be a hermit. She's going to be in real solid months, maybe years kind of depression from this. It's very, yeah. The only thing to say to her when I saw her was, you know, how are you holding up? Or 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 not even. Or can you put one foot in front of the other yet? How do you where are you? Where are you in the in the timeline? Mm-hmm. Which is so much more appreciated to her than, oh, you must feel so terrible. You know, do you miss him? What was it like? You know, just Shut the fuck oh up. Oh my God. Never. You know, shut that. up. And yeah, just... that's horrible. So what I do when I hear a friend passed away or, you know, I, it sounds silly, but a friend's dog passed away it can be easily my, when Dexter died, it was more traumatic to me than when my parents died, believe it or not. What? Yeah. Yeah. It was that, it was that but soul But do you think connection. it's because it, it brought that up as well? So you had to face that again? Because you're like, I, I understand the soul connection of a dog. You know, That's I interesting. Uh, but like the uh, loss. Ah, man, I don't know. I don't know that. That's a good, it's a good question. I feel like it was more spiky. Like I openly sobbed more for Dexter than I did for my parents. Yeah. You know, but because I, there is an element where, you know, you expect your parents to die eventually. You know, it's there. like you're planning for it, whether you realize it or not, as you're an adult, mm-hmm. you're going to like, I'm going to have to go through this someday. Right. The dog you like, it's the thing you go, I hope this never happens. Of course. You know? And if I remember thinking once, if I were an actor, if, if they asked me to cry on demand, I would only think of my dog dying. I would only think of Dexter <laughs> dying. I'd be like, oh, I can get there in like a second. Let me call that. on that fucking memory. Yeah, and then, you know, he got cancer and died way earlier than he was supposed to. Right. You know, if he's 12, 
I go, God, he's playing with the house's money at this yeah. point. You know, he's a yeah. dog. They they live to about now, but when it's a parent and it's, you know, I just anyway. knew with Charlotte. So I had her 14 years and yeah. cancer as well as we've discussed, but like it, what happened to me was it brought up all the undealt with emotions that I hadn't dealt with, with my family because it was a fucking reason to cry. Yeah. And then when you're crying about the dog, you're like, Oh my God, I miss my mom. I miss my dad. I miss all the memories. I miss all the things I couldn't have said to them because you're missing all the things that you didn't get to do with the dog at the same time as you're missing all the things you didn't get to say to the parents. So for me, it was like combined grief. I'm so much more interested now as a, as a human, you know, asking questions and, and being present and, and, uh, being curious, you know, about people that I wish my parents were around so that I could, could do that, you know, that I could ask them those questions. Yeah. I think, um, one of my biggest regrets and what I recommend to everyone who still has parents alive is record their stories. For sure. Especially now when we have iPhones and microphones and it's so easy. I think my biggest regrets are, I don't know this about my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And it'll be something as simple as where they went to high school. And I'm like, I know where my mom went. I don't know where my dad went. And that breaks my heart because I don't have a big family. And, you know, a lot of people have big families and there is someone to tell that story. But uh, my parents were both only children and I was only child. My grandparents are dead. I don't have a big extended family. I have very little people to ask about them and it's heartbreaking. And so it's like, get their stories now because you want to know them when you're an adult. I never got to have adult conversations with my parents I was barely of drinking age like I didn't get to hear the good stories of who they truly were before they were parents right so here's a another twist on this yeah that is a an an after effect that maybe isn't seen right away parents passed away my brother got married in 2003 I didn't love the wife from the beginning Mm mm-hmm I despise their family. Oh God. This is a bunch of super snooty New England lawyers. And she was also a lawyer, mm-hmm. his wife. And I remember when I gave the best man speech, which I didn't read, by the way. I knew it. <laughs> I said, You have you're about to marry, or you have married a woman that has spent her entire young adult life and her career learning to mold the English language in her favor to get her desired outcome. Mm. What that means for you is if she wants those walls blue, they're going to be blue, <laughs> you know, and that got a big laugh. But the under the, the reality was she was a lawyer. Her dad was a lawyer. Her two brothers were lawyers. It's like a family full of lawyers who were also complete and utter assholes. Like she was just a real dick still is a real dick of a human. She's just an asshole. Like, and her mom is the matriarch of, of doom. She's just a terrible, mean lady mm-hmm. enough that my brother you know, they were always very fancy, so they'd go and spend Thanksgiving, you know, in Aspen. They'd have a beautiful condo in Aspen worth a gazillion dollars, right? And so my brother, 
my one living relative would say, come up to Aspen and do Thanksgiving with us. So he's got him and his wife and they've got a couple of young kids Mm -hmm. and then all the extended family of his of his wife. Well, I show up there, you know, at whatever it was. I show up and I walk in and and the the wife, the mom says, what are you doing here? No, like I have no parents. I have no. Oh, my God. And I was like. Oh, and then he ends up getting in this, like she, the wife says to my brother, why did you invite your brother to this? He's like, it's my fucking brother. That would crush me. Oh, and it was like, and I left. I said, all right, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. And I was like. Yeah, because you reject before you get rejected. Well, and. And, no, I was already and fuck rejected. them also. I was actually and rejected fuck and them. Go, fuck you. I don't want to spend wow. a couple days with you. That would literally crush me. Yeah. But that was not that only occasion. It Ugh. was just like, it was so shitty. Wow. Just as humans mm-hmm. to not consider, oh wait, this guy's lost his parents. We are his extended family we now. We are his family now. Like, yeah. don't, you know. So, fast forward to, I'm living in San Diego. And I, by the way, I watched this relationship implode. I watched my brother become, we talked about masculine and feminine energy. She was so masculine and Mm -hmm. I just watched him turn into this like smoldering pile of anger. You know, he just became this angry. She was so good at even just the way she would say something like, are you gonna really leave your glass like that on the table? You know? And it's like, why? She's like, it's obviously making a it's a making a ring about like and all of a sudden it turns into a thing versus wow. like hey sweetie you want you mind putting a coaster under there or whatever hey honey is. here's a coaster no right. big deal yeah done right but it turns into like a screaming match oh, and that wow. was what that was so when I first moved to San Diego they got divorced mm. and then I was the because uh, I'd done a lot of personal development at that point and I'd self-help. done years and years and years and years and. I found myself being able to very much help my brother mm. through some of this stuff yeah. and guide him along this. Even though, I, again, I'd never been in a divorce, but I could empathize in that way. I think somebody called it hyper-empathetic. It's the, it's the thing I have. Hope you're enjoying this interview with Michael. If so, you can actually check out his bonus episode. It's only available to VIP members. That's at glow.fm slash foodheals for $5 a month. That's less than a price of coffee in most coffee shops, definitely in LA. Uh, for $5 a month, you can get bonus episodes with some of your favorite Food Heals Nation podcast guests. And we're adding really new and fun, exciting episodes all the time. In Michael's episode, he teaches me some really cool automation hacks to just make your life a little bit easier, a little bit less stressful um, by creating shortcuts using a combo of Siri, the Shortcuts app, and Zapier. You can have a lot of these tasks that you're spending way too much time on taken right off your plate to free you up to spend some more time doing the things that you love, spending time doing what you want to do with your day. And there are so many more rad interviews in the VIP club, like how to create a vibrant reality and say yes to yourself in life with Ashley, who you know from um, our co-hosting our recent episode with James. She was so much fun. We talked to Bon Appetit podcast host Ronsley Vaz about how he went from broke to a booming business. His story is really incredible and inspirational. We talked to Nicole Lappin, the boss bitch. She tells us some life hacks to work smarter, not harder, create your dream life, and how she became an author. 
We also talked to plant-based on a budget's Tony Okamoto on how to become a successful recipe blogger and cookbook author. We talk about the most powerful tool to design a life you love and overcome that overwhelm and get motivated, (laughs) keep motivation in your life with Lisa Thomas. We talk about how to turn your passion into a product and build a skincare business with Daisy Jing. There are so many more fun and behind the scenes episodes in the Food Heals VIP Club. Check it out. Just five bucks a month at glow.fm slash food heals. All right. Now back to my interview with Michael. Let's talk about this. And you've said this to me a few times and I actually really appreciate it because I feel like it's something that's happened in my life is that when you've lost multiple people, as you have, as I have, you start to look at life differently and you start to say yes to things, you know, you might not have said yes to. Tell me about that. I do that regularly. I'm, I'm very much the yes man, I think, <laughs> you know, like the movie. So and that really that that was because I was driving to the diner with my friend Julia and I got a phone call from my my brother in Ohio and he said we lost your mom mm. last night. Mm. He's a half brother. So it wasn't his mom, it was it was and so Gosh. I said well, what do you mean? I thought literally thought that she had wandered away. Right, like, lost. I thought she right. like, I was like where'd she go? What are you talking it's about? It's semantics. Sometimes you're like no, tell me the fucking truth. What just yeah, happened? Yeah, like what I said what do you I yeah. said what do you mean? He said well she you know, she had a kidney thing and had she had signed a dnr i said what are you talking about oh god nobody knew that she signed this dnr she i mean effectively died of a broken heart we hear it all the time and it was such a shock to my system Mm -hmm. it was so jarring that following that and there's way too many examples of this that if somebody said hey do you wanna i go yeah whatever that is you just say yes. If it's a trip and I can afford it, I'm going. Mm-hmm. If it's a show, I'm going. If it's I'm on a date and we're supposed to make out or have sex, we're doing it. Like I don't, I don't, you don't I don't back. discern what the yes is. I mean, unless it's physically mega dangerous or something like that. I mean, I I have a sense of self and and a sense of self-preservation. But things that you would have said no to. I'm not going skydiving. Yeah. I'm not trying to put myself in more harm. But things that you may have said no to because of fear before you will say yes to now. Yeah. So is it about fear? The cool thing about this too is I've, you know, I've done 800 episodes or whatever for my show. And if there's a common thread of the most successful people that I've interviewed. If you had to do statistics on those people, the the most common thread is that successful people say yes first mm. and figure out the details later. Yeah. And average people say maybe and then think of 10 reasons why they shouldn't do something. Mm. Absolutely universal. Totally. And I know people that have... My, my buddy, David Wood, who I started my first, I did this podcast called The Kick-Ass Life with David Wood, big world traveler and really positive guy, big personal development dude, was on his way to Kilimanjaro and they were at some bar in, I don't know, was it the Bimini Islands or something, some, somewhere on the way to Kilimanjaro and he strikes up, a, it was Thursday, they're climbing Kilimanjaro on Sunday, he goes to the bar strikes up a conversation with a guy and says to the guy, 
you know, after hours of drinking and hanging out and having a great time, he goes, hey, you should come do Kilimanjaro with us on Sunday. And the guy just goes, all right. Logistically, guys thousands and thousands of miles from his house had done zero training to climb this mountain, didn't have any of the gear like required to do this, Mm -hmm. but fucking made it work he called his wife said i'm doing something a little crazy yeah i'm gonna go climb kilimanjaro i've sent you a message can you look up some stuff and go to rei and get everything i need to do this and fedex it to me he had the thing on saturday delivered to whatever the town was near kilimanjaro geared up went and did it you obviously had a lot of money because you don't just get to do yeah. that, you know, in a couple of days. But that is a perfect example of how a successful human thinks about what opportunities come along. He's got this lifelong memory now, and that's because he said yes to a guy, a stranger, really, at a bar. Yeah. So. What's something you've said yes to? A lot. I, I mean, it's like everything. You know, What's, every every bit. Uh, yes to being the roast master. Mm-hmm. Yes to doing stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Yes to flying music. Flying to Chicago and driving my car back home because I thought it would be a fun road trip to do. Yes, yes to buying that car. Yes to yes to buying that car that I'm rebuilding on my YouTube channel. The blasphemy. Yes to. Uh, agreeing to play music with some people that I didn't totally know that ended up being, you know, this epic mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, it's my life is peppered with the yeses that that I think make you step outside of your comfort zone in some ways. Yes to moving to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yes to doing a month in a different country every year alone a lot of times cool. you just book the ticket and go yeah i'm going yeah um i mean it's it is a huge piece of my life so yes to everything you know yes to all of it what's the biggest blessing out of the trauma that you've endured hashtag bless hashtag bless appreciation of of those things appreciation of of friends and family and and how fleeting life is mm-hmm. which is a, such a bummer it's a it's a lesson that you appreciate and don't want at the same time yep agreed and um what is your parting advice for anyone who is dealing with or has dealt with a sick parent and you know how to get through it and like thrive because we're both living examples of it and we're thriving now, but it doesn't mean it's over. Yeah. I think accepting the life cycle Mm -hmm. that, yeah, this is, this isn't, this has nothing to do with you. Again, you can be a great person or you can be a total dick. People are going to die around you. They're going to get sick. You might, you might lose a leg. You know, you might lose your eyesight like it's you just have to go. All right. That's the that is the deck. Mm -hmm. Those are the cards I've been given. 
this is what this is. And to compare, for every person you go, man, my friend didn't have to go through any of that. You can find millions more that were so much worse. In my case, I was in very close to my lowest possible point. Mm -hmm. And my, I was still hanging on to my house. And this is after. This is in Boulder after everybody died. Eh, it could have been during. What year was Hurricane Katrina? Do you remember? Hold on, let's ask Steve Jobs. Hey Siri, when was Hurricane Katrina? That's 2005. So my dad, and that was the end of 2005. So this was when I was in the throes of it. And shit was like, I was losing my house. Yeah. My dad hadn't died yet, but he was sick. Yeah. I was starting to lose all my shit and I knew it was bad. And this was what was happening to us in 2006 and 2007 because it was the beginning of that big crash. And it was the beginning of the crash. Yeah. Right. And so you didn't have any help. Right. You were hosed because everybody was crashing. Everyone was fucked. Yeah. So it was a big tidal wave of shit. Yeah. So I remember as terrible as I felt, I'm watching CNN, Katrina hit. They had this quick shot of this, and maybe a little profile of this kid, little nine-year-old, little skinny black kid. He's standing on the roof of a two-story house. Oh, yeah. And the water is sweeping by. That's how high the water right, was in right. some places in New Orleans. Bodies floating by mm. everywhere. He had lost 14 family members. Oh, my God. He lost everybody. Like oh five God. brothers and sisters, grandparents, parents. You know, every, he lost everybody. He, had, he was alone. Oh. He's a nine-year-old, barely educated. You know, he was deep south. They didn't have any money. Right. And so I remember watching that kid and thinking... As bad as I think I have this right now, mm. that kid's got it worse. It's like perspective. I've always carried him around. I hope that fucker's a brain surgeon now, by the way. Mm. I hope he is thriving in a brain surgeon now, 23 years later. And 24. And it just was a... It was one of those things... No, that's wrong. 17 years later. Anyway, I'm apparently bad at math. 15 years later, 2005, <laughs> yeah, like 14 years later. Okay. That would make I, us I got really there eventually. <laughs> I got there eventually. 14. Anyway, but every time somebody says that this is miserable and I'm, and I'll, I'll, I'll always say somebody, there's two things. One, somebody has it way worse than you. And two, somebody that had it way worse than you has done so much better than you're doing right now. Like just you own it and you get your shit together and you put one foot in front of the other and you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you fucking go. Yeah. So I used to do a podcast with Heinz Ward, who's a big Pittsburgh Steeler guy. So he, this guy left the NFL and he decided to become an Ironman triathlete, which is almost the polar opposite from an athletic standpoint from what he had to do in the NFL. This is very bulky, very quick twitch sprinting. And then now you've got three mega endurance events. You have to do back to back to back to back. It's a hundred mile road race. It's a, what is a three mile swim and a 26 point, you know, whatever, 26.2 mile run. So full marathon, full century on a bike and three miles in the water. It's fucking bonkers. Not unusually people's bodies can break down. 
he, as much training as they do, they can break down. Mm-hmm. So because he's Heinz, he right out of the gates got this whatever she was, eight time, ten time Iron Iron Man female champion that became his coach. So she rode with him and ran with him and taught him how to swim and do all the things you got to do to become a triathlon or Ironman triathlon. So he goes to, I think, Hawaii to do the, the real one. So he does the swim, does the bike, and now he's on the run. And, man, they're looking at their watch because he is expected to have been back, you know, an hour ago, and he's not there. She goes out to find him, and his body has broken down. Oh, my God. Like, physically, okay. like, he's gone to the bathroom. Shit. He's done, yeah, like, it's really breaking. Like, he's, and he's he's suffering... As much as you can, oh as God. I mean, other than probably actual torture, his everything's broken, everything's hurting, everything's bleeding, like it's just bad. And he is probably two miles from the the finish line, and he looks at her and he says, "I don't know what to do." Like he's crying and he's you know broken down. Oh my God. And she says, "You get the fuck up and put one foot in front of the other." And he got the fuck up and put one foot in front of the other. Oh, my God. And he finished the race. He said, that's what you do. Yeah. That's what this is. You get the fuck up and you put one foot in front of the other and you finish this race. And that's, you know, that's the best we can hope for. I think as a conscious person, whether you're going through a breakup, which is a loss, or a death, which is a loss, or somebody gets sick, which is a loss, those are all things that can very adversely affect you. I think of being, quote, conscious, unquote, as imagine if you're an orthopedic surgeon and you break your arm mm-hmm. and now you've gone to school for 20 years. You know exactly what's happening in your arm. You know that the red blood cells are going in and, and the bones are fusing and the white blood cells are doing what they do. And you know that all of this is happening because you are a studied conscious person you know what's happening in your arm can you do it can you make it go any faster you can't Mm -hmm. you have to accept that it's going to take you six weeks for this thing to heal period i don't care how much tutelage you have in this it's going to fucking take you six weeks for your arm to feel better that's what this is when you have a death you have a loss you have a sickness it's going to take you some time to heal from it but then guess what it's going to heal if you get broken up with and dumped by the love of your life well unless you got hit by a blimp you probably still look like you did when you met them or in general you look pretty close you got to be pretty fucked up to not find somebody that finds you somewhere attractive and that you can relate as a partner and you can find them like and then you open up more space for that person to be available to you as yeah, well yeah but but it's when we get into the woe is me, why is this happening to me? The victim. This shouldn't be, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Why would this happen to a good person? Fucking kids get hit by tractors. That's well, why. I think There's no that was rhyme the, or reason to it. I swear for me, it was like the biggest thing was eventually realizing I wasn't alone in my trauma because when my stuff happened, I didn't know anyone who had been through massive trauma that was talking about it. Now I do a podcast, I'm older, I've met all these people, but like I felt so alone 
You are not alone. I could have accelerated this process hugely by getting some counseling in mm, yeah. 2010. And you when know? did you get counseling? Never. But I, well, I shouldn't say never. That's wrong. Counseling has happened through personal development, right. self-study, self-reflection. Like it's, but it would have been massively accelerated yeah. had I spoken to somebody that did this for a living, a grief counselor, that said, yeah. hey, guess what? Hey, there's stages of grief. There's stages you have of to grief. cry and shit. The sooner yeah. you get to the point where you realize this has nothing to do with you, this is what life serves you sometimes, yeah. and it doesn't matter if and you're... And it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And you are safe, and you yeah. are loved, and you are not abandoned, and all the things that I thought I was. Yeah, and everyone experiences it, different, is it differently, you of know? Of course. Right now, my fuel pump in my car is failing. Sometimes fuel pumps fail. <laughs> Sometimes you know? assholes cut you out in traffic. Sometimes it's like, okay. that happens. Yeah. And when that happens, all you can do is say, that's the reality of my situation right of now. Right now. That's it. That's why I think this, this attitude of gratitude and then saying yes, when things are great, you just go, God, this is so, what a sunset this is. Yeah. And just I appreciation. just get so yeah. excited about it, you know? So that's the flip side. I think appreciation and gratitude are my go-tos. What are your go-tos? You keep asking me the shortest questions and I have no time to drink anything. I'm like <laughs> giving these 10 minute answers. Yeah. That's what I just said. Attitude and appreciation. I think you just, yeah. I, mine is pragmatic and this is probably very male, but a pragmatic understanding that sometimes shit happens, just like the bumper sticker. <laughs> sometimes shit happens. Why did this happen to me? Because guess what? Shit happens to people. Okay. Accepting that. The sooner you can accept that, the more you can get by when the thing happens. You know? On a smaller level, you and I do a lot of training for entrepreneurs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, God, what happens if it doesn't go according to plan? like oh it's never going according to plan right, right. like let's not get silly if you think that you're going to plan this and that's and how it's, it's going to go yeah. you're fucking insane it never does that so the ability the 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 win is that you know that ahead of time and you know it's ain't, ain't going to go how you think it's going to go but it'll still go as long as you adapt and keep putting a foot yeah. in front of the next all right so you've got solopreneur you've got wrench Tell everyone where they can follow you online, what you're up to. At Solo Hour is where you can do that. But I'm sure Allison already mentioned all of this in the intro to this show. So at Solo Hour and solohour.com. S-O-L-O-H-O-U-R. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me in awesome Food Heal Studio. We didn't mention a thing about food, but we can talk about we, food. We talked about heels. So that's good. We're talking about healing emotionally and, and all the things. And I'm eating a plastic uh, uh, I know apple. everyone brings those up. They come on the show. They're like, yeah. I love all the fruit, but it's plastic. And Thank like, you for having me. I know, but it looks really good on camera. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat in this dress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately.